Welcome back to Brojo Online Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about toxic masculinity. We're going to explore it from the angle of what does it mean and is it a necessary and helpful term? We're going to be trying to answer those questions today, as difficult as that might be. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence and integrity. So this stems from a post I did in the Brojo private Facebook group for members, and we had a little discussion about it. Here's how I originally phrased my post. I'm going to read that out for you guys, and then we're going to have a look at some of the responses. I'm going to have a look at the Wikipedia article about it and some of the definitions and everything, and we're going to try and answer these questions. What does it mean? Is it a helpful term? So here's what I wrote. By my calculation, this phrase does not make any sense. Toxic means poisonous, and I'm willing to stretch that definition to mean objectively harmful, but that's not actually what it means. And masculinity means traits or behaviors exclusive to males, which is also actually a term that doesn't make sense, but we'll get into that. So no matter how long I think about this, I cannot identify a single trait or behavior that is harmful and exclusive to males. So every harmful thing that a man can do, a woman can also do. Further, when you, dis- when you stretch the definition of masculinity to mean traits that are just more likely to be seen in men, uh, even though this is not the dictionary definition, you open up another can of worms. Because for every toxic trait that's demonstrated by men, uh, you can counterbalance it with a helpful trait. So for example, men might be more likely to be physically violent, Uh, but they're also more likely to put their body on the line to protect others. And you can also identify this in women as well. Again, generalized, but with many exceptions. So women are more likely to use emotional manipulation on their peers, uh, but they're also more more likely to be nurturing of children. So by my calculation, while there are trends and likelihood imbalances in the genders as a large group, there really is no argument for the idea that men are more harmful than women. That has not been established in general, especially not to the point of needing to single them out for special intervention in a way that we won't do with women, while painting women as helpless victims of men, and certainly not at an individual level where measuring harmfulness must clearly be done on a case-by-case basis. You, you can't judge an individual man by the group of men. All right? He could easily be an exception in any way, so if you're trying to work with an individual man, it doesn't help to think of him as all men just like it wouldn't help to think of an individual woman as all women. Simply put, if men are somehow more harmful in general than women, this has not been established, it doesn't help to approach the issue in this way because it can only be solved at an individual level. Telling a decent man to change his behaviour simply because he's identified as being part of a harmful group is only going to confuse him, because he's already good. While the truly harmful men in this group simply aren't going to give a fuck anyway. So by attacking the whole group, you do absolutely nothing. The harmful people stay harmful, and the people who were decent now become confused and perhaps become less decent because they're scared to act. It seems much more likely that all humans are capable of any harmful trait you can think of, any harmful trait that any other human is capable of, and that gender is really a side distraction that doesn't need to be considered when it comes to trying to address these behaviours particularly as they should be addressed on a case-by-case basis at an individual level. There's really no way 
no way to address them as a group. They've been trying to do this for many decades, nothing's changed. Now, one of the first kind of challenges that came up, that was my post, and one of the first challenges that came up was an example of toxic masculinity being a description of how men are raised in a way that harms them. You know, our boys are raised into men. And that could be a, a way to use this phrase, you know, like boys being told that they can't cry, for example. Or, you know, any of those kinds of stereotypical cultural pressures that we put on men, on boys who later become men and suffer from those. But the question still becomes, does the term toxic masculinity actually help us? Does the addition of this made-up term bring any value to the situation? Does it improve anything in the situation? Because we already have gender-neutral terms like shaming, emotional suppression or repression, bullying, bad parenting. We've already got terms to describe unhealthy emotional expression in any person. And these terms work just fine. They're, they're enough for what we need to accomplish. If I'm working with a man as a therapist, I don't need the term toxic masculinity to do all the work that needs to be done. I never need to use that term. We don't lack any necessary language to identify and treat issues like this. So in order for us to add toxic masculinity to our repertoire, it must add value. For us to bother with it, it must be something valuable. And before we consider whether it does add value, we have to note that it must also add so much value that it overcomes any of the costs of using this term. Because make no mistake, this is a very powerful term to use. It's had a big impact. And a lot of that impact has been negative. So if we're going to use this term, it better be so good that it overrides its own negative impact. The cost of this term is shaming men for being masculine. Right? The difficulty in un interpreting this term, especially... And figuring out who's a decent man and who isn't, who this applies to and who doesn't when it's being applied to all men. Is that it ends up being commonly both used and interpreted as it's bad to be man. It's bad to be masculine. Whatever it was supposed to mean when it first came out is no longer how it's used or what it means. The use of this term tends to discourage men from engaging in all masculinity, including the healthy elements. Healthy masculine traits are necessary for our survival. Responsibility, leadership, courage, risk-taking, honesty. All traits that women can live by as well, by the way, which is why the word masculine itself doesn't even really make sense. If it means specifically, like if the definition is behaviors and traits by men, it doesn't make sense because women can do them all. I like the word masculine, just like I like the word feminine to describe like the yin and yang of different traits, but there's really no need to attach biological sex to these because it doesn't really help or make sense, and there's so many exceptions. So my question becomes, why do we use it when we don't have to? And it causes more harm than it cures. You know, for comparison, when I coach a woman who's been shamed into suppressing her anger, so that's a Toxic femininity, you might say. She's been told to put on a smile and be nice around the boys. I can coach her towards being assertive, courageous, risk-taking, honest, a leader. By harnessing her anger, by using that force. And I never need to use the term toxic femininity to work with her. 
At no point does that term fill a space where nothing else will. It's a superfluous term and a harmful one because it shames her as a woman and it makes her a victim. Where she doesn't need to be, if she wants to be assertive, she can't be thinking of herself as a victim. Right? She needs to be the boss of her own life. So why would I add a term like that to working with her? And I never have and probably never will. Now, let's go to Wikipedia. I'm not going to read the whole thing because anybody can look this up. But Wikipedia says the concept of toxic masculinity used in academic and media discussions of masculinity refers to certain cultural norms that are associated with harm to society and men themselves. Traditional stereotypes of men as socially dominant, along with related traits such as misogyny and homophobia, can be considered toxic due to their part in the promotion of violence, including sexual assault and domestic violence. Socialization of boys in patriarchal societies often normalizes violence, such as the saying, boys will be boys, about bullying and aggression. Okay. Bear in mind, the question is not, do guys do this and is it a problem? Yes, guys do this and yes, it is a problem. The question is, what does the term toxic masculinity bring to this problem? Just in that first kind of, which I think is pretty fair representation of what it's supposed to mean, that first definition there. There's already a word called hypermasculinity, which is an exaggeration of traditionally, traditionally masculine traits. So, why don't we use that term when we describe someone being so assertive that they become aggressive? Or uh, so, so much of a leader that they start to dominate and bully? Why don't we just use the term hypermasculinity? Why do we call it toxic? Because we don't say toxic hypermasculinity. We say toxic masculinity which implies that masculinity, neutrally by itself, can be poisonous. Now there's a lot in this that can be challenged directly. The idea that misogyny and homophobia are exclusive to males. No, they're not. So we can dismiss those. There are women who hate women, and there are women who hate gays. So we can dismiss that as masculine. We're looking for something that's strictly for men. Okay? Not just... Mostly for men, but strictly for men. And also, you know, the counters of this, misandry, for example, I think that's how you pronounce it, which is hating men. As we can see in the modern feminist movement, women are more than capable of that, and yet we don't use the term toxic femininity. So why do we only have term for one side of this? And why are we creating sides in the first place? How does that help? And then there's the idea that misogyny and homophobia promotes violence, sexual assault, and domestic violence. Looks like that makes sense on paper, but even that needs to be looked at. I've worked with criminal offenders, sexual abusers, guys who commit rape and sexual assault, many, many domestic violence abusers. And it would be an oversimplification to say that they're misogynistic, or to say that they hate the people that they kill and hurt. It's not quite that clear-cut. There are clear cases of that, for sure, but most of the time there's a lot more to it. There's a guy who can love women in general, but be violent towards his partner. So the idea that traditional stereotypes of men is what causes them to behave badly doesn't quite make sense, because why do women behave badly if they're not subjected to the same traditional stereotype cultural upbringing? There are women who abuse their partners, male and female. Uh, there are women who commit sexual assault against both adults and children. There are women who are violent. And not so few of them that we can dismiss the stats, but there are prisons full of them. 
So the more likely story is that human beings can do bad behavior, not that men themselves are exclusive to this domain. Then, of course, the socialization of boys in patriarchal societies. The idea that we even live in a patriarchal society needs to be questioned. That whole patriarchy thing, based on the idea that all the CEOs and politicians are males, this top 1% of hyperachievers, while most homeless people are men, most people in prison are men, most people who commit suicide are men. We might be overrepresented at the top, but we're very much overrepresented at the bottom as well. So you could probably say it balances out. And you think you'll find in most homes, if you go into a normal family home, most of the decisions being made about how everyone lives in that home are by the matriarch. Not always, but I'd definitely put some money on there being a majority. This hasn't been studied in any way to confirm it, but based on huge amounts of anecdotal evidence, In my experience working with hundreds of clients and having thousands of people that I've had these conversations with, most of the time the woman runs the house. She may not be the breadwinner in every case, but she certainly decides how things are run. And that's what we call a matriarch. And I actually have no problem with that, and I think actually humans survive better in a matriarchy than they would in a patriarchy. In fact, I think if we really were in a patriarchy, uh, we would all have killed each other by now. The idea that emotional repression and self-reliance and not, you know, all the stuff that apparently we're raised to be causes psychological problems, depression, stress, substance abuse disorders. Absolutely, that's true. It's also true in women. It's also true in people who are feminine. So the idea that this is exclusive to men is so easily dismissed that you have to ask, why do we use the term masculinity? If masculine means exclusive to men. And that's the dictionary definition. That's what it means. And it's a weird definition because the only thing that we're able to come up with in our thread when we're talking about what did men do that no woman ever do, or so few ever do that it shouldn't count, the only thing we can figure figure out is rape via a penis. That's it. Anything else a man can do, a woman can do. In fact, that's very much the feminist motto, isn't it? So it's odd that they tend to be the ones that use this term. They say men only do these behaviors, and yet also women can do anything a man can do. And yet women can actually substitute the use of a penis in what can only be called rape. They can rape through emotional force. Uh, I myself have had sex under duress, you might say, where I've been emotionally manipulated into sex. I'm not traumatized by it, and I certainly wouldn't take it to court, but if the genders were reversed, I'd be able to get a conviction, for sure. I've been bullied into sex, you might say. So, if that isn't rape, what is it, exactly? And then, of course, there are women who actually do quite technical things to cause a man to get an erection and then have sex with him against his will, but that's quite rare, to be fair. But abusing young boys, manipulating them into having sex. I mean, look at all the cases of of, uh, teachers having sex with students coming out of the United States. I mean, sure, this isn't a majority of women by any means, but there's plenty of cases where they are essentially being charged under a different terminology, but it is rape. Statutory rape at the very least. So what we come down to is, and I challenge anybody listening to this, think of a single behavior or trait That is exclusive to men. Because if this is what toxic masculinity means, toxic behaviors that are exclusive to men, 
then really what we're talking about is rape with a penis, and we've already got a term for that. We don't need an extra term that shames all masculinity. We've got the term rape. Now, I wanted to look this up. I'm going to look it up right now. Stats. How many men commit rape? Let's see what comes up. By the way, a CDC study, study in the US found that 1 in 70 men have been raped. So the idea that women are the only ones who are victims of rape is not true. In fact, when you take into account the amount of men that are raped in prison and you do a cor- like an extrapolation guess as to how much that goes underreported, there's a real case to be made for the likelihood that maybe men get raped as much as women do but they are far less likely to report it or mention it to anybody. And that's what makes it impossible to actually measure. But it's long been held as a belief that women get raped more than men because men are rapists. But men also rape other men and little boys. It's the same concept as like this uh, patriarchy idea is that there's all these men at the top and it makes you think that all the men underneath them are benefiting from this. But we're not. We're suffering from it. Although that 1% of men at the top running everything aren't doing other men any favours. Like I said, we kill ourselves more, we're homeless more, we use drugs more, we suffer more. Physically, it can be argued. Now let me just see if I can find... It's not really coming up obviously here. How many men commit rape? 1 in 16 men are sexually assaulted while in college. Again, depends how often that's reported. I may not be able to find this right away. Now this is interesting. I'm trying to find the stats on how many men are rapists. So how many have been convicted, accused, suspected of rape. Uh, But all I'm getting is how many people are victims. Because this isn't really studied. So I'll have to look into this deeper. But I can talk about my experience as a corrections employee. So I used to work with a lot of convicted rapists and sexual abusers. And there's a kind of general truism in the criminal world overall, uh, which is most crime is committed by just a few criminals. So there isn't like an even spread amongst all the people who commit crime. Most people who commit crimes, they do it once or twice and they never do it again in terms of their conviction rate. It's like an 80-20 Pareto distribution. Like most people only commit a very small amount of crime and a huge amount of crime is committed by a very small amount of people. So the serial offenders, as we call them, or career criminals, do most of the damage. You know, if, if, if you think of an average neighborhood, most of the cars stolen in that neighborhood are probably stolen by one dude. Okay. And if you think of most of the sexual assaults that happen on a college campus, there might be hundreds of them, but it's probably five or six dudes doing them all. Okay, to some extent. Now that isn't really talked about or acknowledged very often, that in all crime, It's only a small people involved that do most of the damage. So when we have lots of convictions or lots of suspected rapes and sexual assaults and violence, we assume that this must be spread amongst men. And I think this is why toxic masculinity gets this kind of like all men are bad, broad brush fallacy approach. It's because it looks like so much damage is being done that there's no way this workload's been done by a small group of men. It must be spread around. Like, if I go to a nightclub, half the dudes in there must be groping because of how many women get groped. But it's very, very unlikely that that's true. And I'm going to keep looking for any studies that might exist around this. But, see, look at this the way it's um, 
when looking at sexualized violence statistics, nearly 99% of perpetrators are male. Now that's easily misinterpreted to say a lot of males perpetrate sexual assault, but that's simply not the case. I would suggest it's probably less than 5% of the population of men have committed sexual assault to any serious degree beyond like fumbled misunderstandings as a teenager trying to figure things out. And when it comes to violence, again, way less than half. You'd be surprised how many men have never thrown a punch in anger in their adult life. But the men who are violent are violent often and a lot and have a lot of victims. Psychopaths, for example, are extremely promiscuous. So if you've got a psychopath who is a domestic violence offender, he might rack up 30, 40, 50, 100 victims in his lifetime, all by himself. Right, so it looked like 100 women were assaulted. It's hard to imagine by one dude, but that's often the case. Psychopaths, narcissist, antisocial personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, extreme versions of borderline. These are most of our criminals. These disordered or, or insane or very evil kind of people, they, they're like carnage. They just go around doing heaps and heaps of damage. And it's kind of similar to this patriarchy idea where you got 1% of people at the top calling all the shots, owning all the money in the land and generally being pricks. But that's such a small percentage of the male population that talking about their gender is almost pointless. They, just, they clearly don't represent the average male. The average male is doing a lot worse than they are. And the reverse is true with criminals. The average male is a lot better behaved than all the men in prison. Again, we come to this idea. Does toxic masculinity as a term actually make sense? And I think one thing that we can dismiss as a potential definition is that masculinity exclusive to males is toxic. Okay, because it's just not exclusive to males. And it's not even prevalent in males. Most men are not violent towards their partners. Most men do not commit rape. Now, there are the lesser versions of, of harm that take place in the toxic masculinity definition, like repressing emotions, doing everything by yourself, putting on a tough guy act. I'm sure the numbers are a lot higher when it comes to these kinds of behaviors. We're probably starting to talk about a majority of men at this point, you know, suffering from depression, from emotional suppression. However, we're also talking about a majority of women. Okay. Women are generally thought to be emotional. And the idea that they're suppressing emotion seems unlikely, but it's because we're looking at the wrong emotions. They express sadness and being upset more often than you know, men do. You'll see women cry more often than you'll see men cry. But you'll see men assertively throw about their anger more often than you'll see women do it. Women do suppress emotions, just a different range of emotions. Women tend to suppress happiness more than men do, probably, in my experience at least, because they're seen to be silly when they're having a good time, whereas a man having a good time is seen to be fun. So, there is an actual sexism in a way in society against women around the emotions that they're supposed to suppress. It's just a different range to men. And there's also emotions that everyone's supposed to suppress, like confusion, for example, and anger to some extent, though anger is often welcomed in the outrage age that we're living in. But grief, uh, melancholy, depression, anxiety, both genders are told to suppress these in no uncertain terms, in their childhood, they're raised to hide these emotions. So, 
The idea that it's exclusive for a man to even have these minor, comparatively minor harmful events occur as part of the cultural conditioning, again, it's just not exclusive. It's a different range, perhaps. But then why don't we have the term toxic femininity to describe the other range? Well, because for the same reason that we don't need the term toxic masculinity, we don't need it. Okay, We can talk about the issues that women have and the way that they're raised and the way that they're uh, conditioned to be unhealthy without using the term toxic femininity. In fact, some of the time the, it's really toxic masculinity, if you think about it, like women are told to suppress their anger, that's a toxic masculinity problem, right, according to the definition. I can tell you for sure that most violent crime and sexual assault crime is a direct result of shame around anger. Guys don't know how to express things that bother them at a small level, so it builds up and eventually they snap. That is pretty much the most accurate description I can give you for most violent and sexual offending is this build-up of anger where the person snaps. Like a guy who's a domestic violence offender. It isn't like as soon as he gets a little bit pissed off, he beats his wife. He holds it in. Days, weeks, maybe he's been holding it in for years, and then there's always the straw that breaks his back. I'm not talking about the psychopaths that use instrumental anger, like they're pretending to be angry, but actually they just love using violence. But the guys who can't control their fists, right? There's a build-up to that. They actually hold in a lot of anger before that happens, and it's actually the holding in of anger that's the problem. So I've really got to emphasize, I'm not saying that there aren't problems and, and toxic behaviors, if you want to call it that, or traits, that are more likely to occur in men. What I'm trying to say is that they're not exclusive to men, and that there's no additional benefit in bringing in the term toxic masculinity. Now, we can just use a term that's neutral, like, uh, if toxic masculinity doesn't do any good, but also doesn't do any harm, fuck it, you can use it, right? But that's the problem, is it does do harm. Since the invention of this term, ironically by a male advocate group, but quickly usurped by radical left, left feminists and man-haters in general, the damage it's done to men who are already confused about what it means to be a man to not really be sure what it means to be a man, to have a quite biased upbringing around it of all these behaviours that are toxic but aren't masculinity. Right? Violence isn't honesty, is it? Violence is just violence. We've already got a name for that. Honesty is honesty. So honesty is masculine, violence is violence. We don't need to attach masculine to it because a woman can be violent, a horse can be violent. It doesn't make a difference. So you've got this boy, he's confused about what it means to be a man. He wants to know what it means to be a man, he wants to, in some vague, general, unarticulated way, he wants to be a healthy man, or a confident man, or a successful man. And he hears this term, toxic masculinity. Nobody sits him down to explain exactly what it means, because it seems like, no matter what masculine trait you talk about, this term comes up. If a guy's a leader at a company, he's using microaggressions. If a guy's sitting comfortably on a bus, he's manspreading. It doesn't matter what a guy does, it's toxic, apparently. The guy can't even fucking exist without causing offense to somebody. And so this term, toxic masculinity, starts to mean it's bad to be a man. Now, for a kid who doesn't even know what being a man is, and he already finds out that it's bad, it's like walking on eggshells. He doesn't even know where to start, because he doesn't even know the definition of masculinity to begin with. Very few people actually have 
some sort of working, healthy, practical definition of masculinity. He's already had enough cultural conditioning to be worried about being too feminine. Now he's got to worry about being masculine as well. What do you think happens to a guy who's scared to be feminine and scared to be masculine? Well, he takes the middle ground, doesn't he? Passive. He goes for neither. And what we are looking at today is a generation of passive men. That's what we've got. That's what nice ghost syndrome is, my specialty. I absolutely strongly suspect that more than 50% of males would qualify as having nice guy syndrome. It is this inability to either give or receive. You can't be masculine, you can't be feminine. You can't be yin, you can't be yang. You can't be strong, you can't be soft. You can't be anything. You must be this ghost that walks this impossible line in the middle, trying not to offend anybody, clearly not succeeding at that, but at least reducing the amount that it happens, and basically being fucking miserable his entire life. Without realizing that no matter what you've got between your legs, you need a balance of masculine and feminine traits to have a healthy life. It's as simple as that. There's no such thing as toxic masculine. There's no such thing as toxic feminine. The only thing that's toxic is not being enough of either. That's the only thing that's harmful. Masculine traits, right? Honesty, courage, assertiveness, leadership, responsibility. Feminine traits, right? Nurturing, empathetic, intuitive, respectful, acceptance. Nobody can survive with only one of these packages. If you're all masculine, you can't heal, you can't connect. If you're all feminine, you can't move forward, you can't stand up for yourself. You need clearly need a combination. Now you don't need a 50-50 balance necessarily. Your personality will probably lean one way more than the other. And generally, this is why I really support like long-term relationships as a healthy goal in life, because usually you've got to find someone to help balance you out. Like, I tend to be more masculine than feminine. My wife is more feminine than masculine. Together, we're healthier than we are apart. I think that's kind of a great setup. Great design, really. So we can have strong masculinity in our relationship and strong femininity, but it's not possible, really, for one person to be both. So we have to do it as a pair, just like a team can often get more done than an individual can. Because you can have specialists that work together without having to be generalists. Toxic masculinity as a term, like there's already some criticism of this I found on on Wikipedia. And the funny thing is, it's really emphasized that the conservatives and the alt-right are the main critics of this. Which kind of undermines the criticism of it. It says that this is a political thing. That this is, you know... The extremely harmful men don't want you to call them out as extremely harmful. That's really the underlying uh, kind of subtext to this, isn't it? Well, I'm definitely not alt-right. I'm left-leaning, but I'm not radical left. I'm certainly not conservative. Most, If I was to be in government, most of my policies would be left. So I'm criticizing this. Does that mean I'm alt-right? But the criticisms are essentially that it constitutes a broad attack on masculinity. That very common inherent male characteristics, uh, achievement, adventure, risk, these are all traits that are not inherently wrong or harmful, it depends how they're used, and that a proper understanding of traditional masculinity rejects harmful extremes. Like for example, it's, it's said it's broad brush it's, that it's bad to be violent. 
right? We need to be careful with that kind of broad brush approach. You're going to want someone who's violent if you get attacked by another violent person. You know who's going to save you from being raped? A violent person. I've worked with rapists. You don't talk them out of it. Right? You kick them into a wall. Right? <laughs> you got to understand that there will always be psychopaths. There will always be people, both men and women, who are more than happy to harm you. We're never going to get. We're never going to breed that trait out of humanity. There's always going to be these people. It's like that wolf sheepdog analogy. You know, there's the sheep, the generally nice, decent people who try not to harm anyone, and they're the majority. And then there are the wolves who try to eat the sheep. And the only way to protect the sheep who can't protect themselves is to have sheepdogs. People who have the ruthlessness and the violence of the wolves, but know how to control it and direct it towards evil rather than towards good. You know, there are people right now who have the freedom to discuss masculinity in countries because violent men protected those countries from being invaded back in the day. The language you speak right now is a direct result of a violent man running towards bullets so that you could maintain your cultural heritage. So, you've got to understand, violent men have protected you your entire life. Violent women. We have women in our armed forces. We have women in the police. Without them, we are left unprotected. The sheep will be overrun by the wolves. There will always be wolves. So the idea that it is inherently harmful always to be violent is not true. The main case being you need violence to solve violence sometimes. People being competitive, being design, you know, being labelled as uh, harmful. That's a pretty big call, isn't it? I mean, every technological advance that you enjoy is a direct result of people being competitive, both men and women being competitive. Hyper-competitive in some cases, right? Without competition, you don't have the Olympic Games or anything interesting to watch when it comes to sports. They're hyper-competitive people. People are willing to die to win. And they contribute to our society. Now, it's not to say that they're always helpful. They're harmful versions of competition. I mean, climate change is a great example of competition uh, being prioritized over sustainability. But that's the thing. It's just not all the time that it's bad. I think it was uh, Andrea Whaling, who's actually um, identifies as a feminist. Her criticism was my favorite. She argues that instructing men to practice healthy masculinity dismisses androgyny and adopting aspects of femininity as valid options for men, thereby perpetuating gender binaries and privileging masculinity over femininity. So the term toxic masculinity itself doesn't really emphasize that combination of masculinity and femininity is what any healthy male should be looking to achieve. She also says it really undermines the socio-political setting that a man is in. Simply put, like I said, you know, most crime is committed by most criminals. Another little saying we had was 5% of families commit 50% of crime. What we found is that there are criminal organizations and families that do most of the damage. So gangs and crime families commit most crimes. Individual, like lone wolf criminals, are quite rare, actually. Most of them are part of organizations and groups. And there's actually, like, biological families that are pretty much responsible for most of the crime in your area at any given time. So if a man is raised in a violent family, that's the reason he's violent. It's not about being a man. It's about being in a 
a situation where violence is prevalent. I went to a pretty violent school and there was a lot of violence there because there was a lot of violence there. Women and men, or girls and boys, were scrapping all the time. It was a violent area that we grew up in. It was a violent culture. Believe it or not, New Zealand culture in general is actually quite violent. This probably has more effect than how someone is raised to be a boy. You can raise a boy and think, oh, hide your feelings and don't cry, but he won't end up violent necessarily. But he goes to high school and it's either like beat or be beaten, then he's going to end up violent. Okay, and that's not necessarily because of the way people are raised. Yeah. Now, one of the critics, sort of critiques that came up in the thread that we were talking about was there might be a spectrum of masculinity and then when you get to the extreme end, it becomes what you'd call toxic, which is a maybe a fair way to describe what toxic masculinity is. But I compared that with the term health, as in physical health. There's a spectrum of health, but at no point are you too healthy, right? There's no such thing as too healthy. You can't be toxically healthy. That's a oxymoron, right? And I'm saying toxic masculinity is exactly the same. The spectrum of masculinity at the far end is as healthy as a masculine person can be. Very honest, very courageous, very assertive, very respectful, very responsible, as much as possible. Zero harm done, basically. If we get into stuff that's like violence, we're not talking about assertiveness anymore. See, assertiveness, for example, a a classic masculine trait that's often identified as toxic or leading to toxic, is simply standing your ground. That's all assertiveness is. It's holding the line, saying, I will not tolerate this, I don't agree with you, this is enough, stop it. That's assertiveness. Now, if I cross the line into your realm and start trying to control your behavior, that's aggression. I'm now not just holding the line, I'm trying to move the line forward, I'm trying to uh, dominate, I'm trying to invade someone else's area. That's aggression. It's a completely different thing to assertiveness. Assertiveness stands still, aggression moves forward. So I can be completely assertive all the time without ever trying to change anybody else. In fact, that is assertiveness. As soon as I try to change somebody else, as soon as my motive is to dominate them and change their worldview, rather than just protect my own, I'm no longer being assertive. And isn't that this is now extra assertive or hyper assertive? It's not assertive at all. It's aggression. Now, aggression isn't always toxic. Like I said, aggression protects the sheep from the wolves. But even when aggression is toxic, it's not a masculine trait anymore. It's now just aggression, which could be called a toxic trait. Perhaps, but like I said, there's too many counterexamples of healthy aggression. But it's not masculinity. Aggression is not masculine. Assertiveness is masculine, perhaps. Even then, I think there's plenty of assertive women, so I don't know why we bother with this masculine-feminine shit. But aggression, again... How can it even be masculinity or femininity when you can see it in almost any other animal, right? Like a, a toad can be aggressive. A female toad can be aggressive. Does that mean she has toxic masculinity? Like, it doesn't make any sense. So there's no such thing as too healthy, And I'm saying there's no such thing as too masculine. But as soon as you're talking about something that's unhealthy and harmful, you're not talking about health and you're not talking about masculinity. Right, let's say I go to the gym and I work out so hard that I injure myself. That's no longer on the spectrum of health at all. This isn't being too healthy. This is now being disrespectful to my body. Right, this is now being uh, insecure about my body dysmorphia and going too hard. Or it's just being uh, naive and ignorant to the risks of the way I'm working out. None of those things 
uh, in the definition of health. If I diet so hard out that I get sick, at some point that dieting was no longer healthy. It's off the spectrum of healthiness. So if I am you know, going for what I want, I'm being assertive and brave and, and honest, and I get to the point where I start harming others regularly, I'm now off the masculine spectrum and I'm now something else. I don't know what the term is, but I know it's not masculine. It may be toxic, but masculine doesn't count anymore. There are already spectrums we've got for all that kinds of behavior. For example, manipulation. Whether you want to call it toxic femininity or toxic masculinity, depends on the type of manipulation. So you've got like dominance and aggression versus like invalidation and guilt tripping, which might be more likely to be used by females and aggression more likely to be used by males. Psychopathy is already a spectrum that exists. Right? Machiavellianism is already a spectrum that exists. Ruthlessness is already a spectrum that exists. We've already got terms for these kinds of behavior and we've got like uh, markers for when they're harmful versus when they're helpful. We don't need the term toxic masculinity to talk about any of those kinds of behaviors. We've already got them. We've already got a term. So like I said, the term has to be more helpful than it is harmful for us to bother using it. And the fact that I'm absolutely convinced that it causes a lot of harm, the toxic masculinity term, I think it needs to be dismissed immediately. I think whatever, it had good intentions. You know, like I said, originally it was a men's advocates group that came up with it. And they were trying to talk about like, you know, guys are being raised with this really fucked up version of what it means to be a man. And we need to give that a name. And they gave it a name. And if that's what it had stayed as, if it had been this compassionate term, it said, look, you've been raised wrong, right? We're going to compare toxic masculinity to healthy masculinity. We're going to help you figure out the difference. That might have been a workable term, but that's not how it's being used. That's not how it's commonly applied. It's commonly being used to say that any form of masculinity is somehow harmful. Do you remember that Gillette ad? Oh, that was a terrible fucking ad. But there's this key moment in the ad where a guy sees a girl that he's attracted to and he's like, oof. And he goes to go talk to her and his friend, a black man of course, stops him. Right? So the, it was one of the most woke things I've ever seen filmed in my life. Now what it implies is that guy going to talk to that girl is harmful. Well, if you're like me, and you're a guy who's experimented with going to talk to girls, and being open and honest with them, and bold, but also respectful, you'll know that at least 50% of the time, the reaction is something along the lines of, this made my day better. And the rest of the time, it's either neutral, at a very small percent of the time, you get a bad reaction. I want you to think about it. If you're just walking along the street, someone comes up to you and says, look, I just noticed you from across the thing. I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable or anything, but I think you're absolutely gorgeous, and I wanted to say hi, and just uh, acknowledge you there. If somebody came and said that to you, are you like, oh my god, I've been raped? No. The ironic thing is, I think most of the uh, women who would complain about this kind of behavior have never had it happen to them in a healthy way. They've had the classic like construction workers wolf whistling at them, but that's not what I'm talking about. And that's actually not what the guy in the ad looked like he was going to do. I mean, what did they think he was going to do if, if his uh, friend didn't stop him? Go grab her ass? Probably not. If that was a real guy who's got the balls to go up and talk to a woman in broad daylight in front of fucking millions of fucking witnesses 
he's probably going to be really confident and really nice to talk to. Right? He's not going to go get himself, like, mob killed. Right? Imagine a guy just going, in front of, like, all these spectators. What would happen to that guy? Very bad things. Very few guys are actually willing to do that. So a guy who's likely to go up to a girl in the middle of daylight, he's probably done this before, knows how to do it in a way that she's going to enjoy. It's as simple as that. The ad also showed like a bunch of little boys bullying this other little boy. The thing is, what's missing in that situation is the kid who's been raised in a healthy masculine way who would protect that little boy. Instead he goes running to his mum in the ad. Well, I'll tell you what, mum's not going to be able to do shit. This is schoolyard justice. Adults can't do anything about schoolyard justice. Okay? If there's bullies in school, adults can't do shit about it. The best you can do is move the kid to a different school and hope he stops being a victim. But odds are, like, no matter what, if, if you tell, if that mum goes to the principal, like, these kids are bullying my kid, all, all she's doing is painting a big target on, that, on her boy's back. The only thing that's going to protect that kid is another kid in school. Probably a boy. A masculine boy. I saw it many times when I was a boy myself. I didn't see it enough, unfortunately. There were bullies, a lot of bullies, especially in my high school. There were a lot of bullies. Or just be future criminals at that point. But occasionally, there was a kid who was like, Hey, that's not cool. Stop it. And you'd see this kid and be like, Ooh, he's got fucking balls. Right? He'd be standing up to someone twice the size and say, Oh, cut it out. Or he'd be a massive dude himself quite often, you know. I remember feeling quite protected by our top rugby players at our school. If we went to a party and one of them were there and some shit started, they'd be like, Oi, cut it out. And everyone would just be like, alright, sweet. Because these guys are built like 30-year-old men, you know, and they're only 17. If they weren't there, there would have been more violence, not less. We were protected by masculinity. We weren't hurt by it. The people who hurt us, the bullies, they weren't masculine. They were insecure about their masculinity. Right? If they'd been truly masculine, they wouldn't have been insecure. They wouldn't have done shitty things to other people. They wouldn't have lashed out in that way. Anyway, this has been a pretty, probably a pretty uh, disconnected series of rants. If I had to sum it up, what I'd say is, even if the term toxic masculinity made sense linguistically, which it doesn't, it's definitely not helpful. And it definitely does more harm than good. And it prevents us, actually from using the one thing that's really going to solve all the classic issues that boys and men face growing up that cause them to be depressed and suicidal and violent even. And that is not enough masculinity. If you want boys to grow up healthy, you need to teach them masculinity. And in order to do that, you have to make sure that they're not afraid to go into that area. So you need to remove a term like toxic masculinity so that they don't have to be afraid of it. You also need to remove the stigma around femininity. See, all the best men I know, they'll stand up for you, but they'll also care for you. Alright, they can be hard and soft. There's nothing I like better than seeing a big tattoo beast who clearly wipe out anybody at a pub dressed as a fairy to have a cup of tea with his daughter. I love that, right? That combination is available. There are men like it. They should be our role models. We should be learning how to be like them rather than trying to learn how to not be like rapists. We should be learning how to be like guys who would never rape. There are guys like that out there, but right now, so much they even stand up for themselves or say something offensive, they're shamed for being the thing that we all need to be more of. 
It's ridiculous. Anyway, that's my rant. Hopefully somebody got something somehow from it. We'll see you guys next time. Cheers. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity.